Last week, we highlighted a little bit about authenticity. So authenticity is all about knowing who you are. This is all about personhood. And so again, this could be your gender, sexuality, ethnicity, personality, spiritual gifts, natural abilities, acquired skills, positions and titles that you hold. What do you do in life? What hobbies do you have? That's all authentically who you are. And that's an important journey to know who you are. But if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, there's another journey that we all have to understand that it's not just authenticity, it's also authority. And authority is understanding whose you are. And for Jesus, he said there's really two spaces. There are those who are found in Christ and those who are lost or they're outside of Christ. There are those who are positioned in Christ and then there are those who aren't. There's not a third option for Jesus. This was his posture. This was his teaching. This is how he explained the world in which you and I live. This was his worldview. And so whether it comes to authenticity or authority, if you and I are going to walk worthy to be called Christians, to be called little Christs, one thing has become abundantly clear in the last season, and it is this, is that we need to take a fresh look at the word accountability. We need to take a fresh look at this word called accountability, how we are being formed Uh, which gives way, because how we're being formed gives way to our beliefs, which then influence the choices that we make, which drive our lives and how we live in the world in which we find ourselves. And so Jesus is the perfect picture of accountability. The Trinity is actually the beautiful picture of accountability. Jesus does what he sees the Father doing. And the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, reminds us of everything that Jesus was and everything that Jesus taught and everything that Jesus stood for. And so when we look at the Trinity, we see this beautiful picture of accountability. But also when we look at Jesus, we see a beautiful picture, a perfect picture of how he held the disciples accountable, how he didn't just call them, but then grew them to be fishers of men, to follow in, to be disciples who can then make disciples. Jesus is our perfect picture of accountability. And here's what's true of every single one of us, whether we're here or whether we're at home engaging today. No one walks, not one of us walk in all of the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in, as the scriptures teach. None of us can do that by ourselves. None of us can do that without the help of others, without the guidance of others, without the wisdom of others, and sometimes without the challenge of others to hold us or to call us higher or to call us to account in a season. And here's what's equally true. None of us like accountability. None of us love it. None of us wake up any, every single day saying, man, I am to do it. There's one thing that happens today. I hope somebody calls me out on my stuff. None of us do. For example, here's one little, little, little trivial example. I've been working out for the last number of seasons, getting my activity, getting my exercise up, um, but I've got these dietary issues, so my food is pretty restrictive. I never thought about it, but I went on a journey. I went on a journey just thinking, like, well, I want to just use for a season an app and record everything that I eat. You know, and, I, I, and, and so I did that. I recorded everything that I, eat, that I ate on the first day. Do you know what the audacity that this app had to tell me? I recorded everything that I eat, and then literally by breakfast, not lunch or dinner, by breakfast, it had the audacity to flash red and to tell me to limit my portions. (laughs) Breakfast. 
Not lunch. Before lunch, the first day. You know what it had? You know what had the gall to say to me? You've reached your calorie limit for today. And I was like, well, I got a lot of day left. It's, it's not even lunch. But I submitted to the will of the app. In the, in, in the time that I've been doing it, I lost 19 pounds. Thank you very much. You don't have to applaud that or anything. It wasn't like it was hard work or anything, but that's fine. You do you. No, no, nothing. You missed it. It's too late. You were thinking about yourself. There was a moment for edification and encouragement there, and you missed it entirely. I'm just holding you to account. That was all about me, and you missed it. So now it's back to all about you, okay? So we need others, and sometimes apps. We need others who help us to be more like Jesus. And everyone said, quietly under your mask, amen. Although I hate it. We need others to help us be more like Jesus, to die to ourselves, to sometimes do the hard things, which we may not wish to do, but in order to grow to who we want to become, who Jesus has created us to be, these are the very things that we need to do. Dr. Herschel York says this, says the prophet, this is what accountability can sound like. Uh, The prophets called out people's sins because they were ordered by God. The Pharisees, however, called out people's sins because it made them feel self-righteous. How obtuse it is for Christians to believe that they are always speaking with a prophetic voice and not with a pharisaical voice. Ooh, that's accountability. Sometimes I think, man, I'm just being prophetic, but the truth is I'm just being self-righteous. I just want everyone to think the way that I think. This is the heart of the song that we just sang a few moments ago, Refiner's Fire, Psalm chapter 51. But you don't get Psalm chapter 51 in the life of David, King David, if you're new to church, he's an Old Testament king. Um, You don't get Psalm chapter 51, which is a gorgeous psalm if you've never read it. You don't get it without God using someone, a prophet by the name of Nathan, to hold David accountable. You don't get Psalm 51. You don't get Psalm 51 with a David by himself. You needed Nathan to come alongside and go, this is you, and show David who he really was. And David responds beautifully. And here's our challenge. We don't just need voices. We need specific voices to help us to be more like Jesus. None of us just need more voices and more noise in our lives. We need specific voices to help us be more like Jesus. Here's what also is true, I think, of each of us. That there's no level of accountability that can make you the person that you don't want to become. You can put a perfect system in place and humans can absolutely thwart perfect systems every single time. You can have somebody in your life that you have a relationship with and they can ask you an honest question and you can bold face lie to their face. You can just outright lie. Okay, so there's no there's no level of accountability that will make you the person that you don't want to become. And so what can it look like when we don't have the right voices and when together we are skirting accountability in our lives? Well, here are some symptoms for those of us who maybe are skirting accountability in this season. One of the things that we I'm just going to list them in rapid fire is we trust our feelings and our thoughts and our status as better indicators of our authority than obedience to God's word. My thoughts, my feelings, and my beliefs trumps what, trump what God's word says about these things. That's a lack of accountability. It's a lack of submission to God's word. We dismiss honest feedback from people who know, love, and we trust us. We still dismiss their feedback. Some people say things to be harmful, but there are people that know, know us, love us, and we trust them, but we still dismiss honest feedback. Uh, we live in echo chambers where there's no, there's no healthy conflict. There's no healthy engagement. There's no healthy disagreement. Uh, sometimes we only wish to be cheer-led but not coached, counseled, or called higher. Um, 
we live with a we are better than others or other groups of people mindset or posture within our own hearts and lives. When we sin, we don't confess it. Uh, we diminish it and we cover it up. Instead of, instead of, this is a big one. Instead of establishing healthy boundaries, we erect unhealthy walls around our hearts. And that's a big one. That's a big one. I've been caught in that before. Uh, because... And because we don't have trusted people and places, sometimes we don't know when and where to be vulnerable. And so we are vulnerable sometimes with everyone. And how many you know that not everybody can be trusted? And so when we don't have these safe spaces, sometimes we are vulnerable in the wrong places. And so no matter what accountability looks like, it must have these two elements. No matter what accountability looks like, it must have these two elements. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 27. I'm going to read it, and I encourage you to bring your Bibles. I encourage you to open your Bibles, turn or tap. Here's what it says. Therefore, having put away falsehood. Okay, everyone say falsehood. If you're online, you can type in the chat, please, falsehood. Just type it, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, or the website, and the live part of it, just type in falsehood. All right. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And here's what it says. And this is the spiritual conflict part. Give no opportunity to the devil. So where we believe falsehood, ah, where we believe things that are not true, and where we have nobody to speak the truth and love to us, there we give room for the devil. And what does the enemy always do? Rob, kill, steal, and destroy. Some measure of those things. So where we are not putting away falsehood, where we are not allowing others to speak truth to us, right? where our anger is unrestrained, we give opportunity to the enemy. So first... It must help us if we're in talking about accountability, it is putting away falsehood. And this only happens usually when someone we trust enough can speak truth in love, in love, speak truth to us. So here's one way that accountability can sound like. Derek Vreeland, he's going to share a truth. I'm going to read it and I want you just to let it hit your heart how it needs to hit your heart. For some of you, maybe not a big deal. For others of you, this can be a convicting statement. Let it touch your heart. Here's the question he asks. Are you reversing reconciliation? There are some of you right now, whether it's here or at home, there are some of you right now that you're struggling with your faith, and here's why. Because you're trying to reconcile God to your life. You're trying to reconcile God to this modern world. You're trying to reconcile, you know, God to our idea of how life should work as if God was the problem in this equation or as if God was the problem that needs to be solved. Yet it's the opposite. Jesus said, no, it is sin that is the problem, which is in us, and it is only through Christ that we can be reconciled to God. And so there are many Christians struggling today, once again, because God is being pointed as the problem and painted as the problem and framed as the problem. So we're trying to reconcile God to the lives in which we live. And Jesus said, oh, oh, oh no, no, the sin that is inside of us, that we need to be reconciled to God. It's a totally different reversal, but it causes a deep, deep distrust in our faith when we reverse reconciliation. As long as God is the problem in any equation, the enemy has us precisely where he wants, and you'll live conflicted. 
And so accountability can be a tool that God uses to do a few things. To call us higher, to form and fashion us to be more like Jesus, to help us restore our damaged Christian witness in the world in which we live, can also give less room for the enemy to run amuck in your heart, to run amuck in your marriage, to run amuck in your family or in your workplace or in your neighborhood. There is something powerful, though you may not see it, everywhere the soles of your feet tread, where you say, Lord, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. What we're saying, God, is your rule and your reign and your kingdom and how you love people and how you serve people and how you save people save people and how you want to save people and how you want to heal people how you want to restore marriages how you want to break bondage how you want to break addiction wherever the king is present the activity of the kingdom should follow and this is what we're praying this is what we're engaging and this is the very thing that you're going to feel spiritual conflict around. So once again, you don't have to walk. You can run. You can bike. You can skateboard. You can rollerblade. You can go on roller skates. You can go on a motorcycle. You can go on an electric bicycle. You can get in your car. You can prayer drive. Every single one of us need to be engaged, just moving, saying, Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. Lori and I have the privilege this afternoon to be driving across the the province on our way to Niagara Falls uh, for a couple of days. Uh, her grandfather passed away during COVID in January, and so his memorial is this coming, this up tomorrow, actually. Well, you know, we have the privilege of doing in every single place we go, Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. We're going to add our kilometers to it. We're going to break the kilometers. We're driving, we're driving 1,200 kilometers in Jesus' name. You're welcome here. I just thought of that right now. We're not going to cheat, but that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Okay. Don't ask much, just, I'm here, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right, I want you to do something for me. Put your hands in front of you like this. Okay, just, like, that's all. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. What has God placed into your hands that you're called the steward right now? I want you to think about everything that God has placed into your hands that he's called you to steward. Everything from your health, from your breath, from your time, from your experiences, your relationships, your finances, your place of work, your past, your present, your future, everything that is in your hands. What accountability is designed by God to help you steward all of that well. And here, you can put your hands down if you want. Here's what we're going to talk about. There are different levels of delegated authority that God gives us. Here's what we all have that is true. In Christ, in Christ, you have the authority of Jesus. It's God's authority that he entrusts to us as stewards that the moment you give your life to Jesus, you move from being lost to found. You move, you move from being out of Christ to positioned in Christ. And so all of us have that authority that can say in Jesus' name. We talked about that last week. That is not the authenticity of our life. That's the authority of our life in Christ. And so all of us have that. But all of us, when we look at our hands, we all have authority and we all have power within our lives, but some of us have different levels of delegated authority and power, and Paul's going to list a few that we're going to go through this morning 
really briefly. And as we go through them, I want you to notice. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the elevated responsibility placed on the ones who are stewarding delegated authority. And any time in Scripture, anyone has a delegated authority which gives them an elevated responsibility, they need additional accountability in and around their hearts and lives because their lives now no longer simply affect them, they affect others as well. And this is an important thing that we look at, that none of us do perfectly, which is why we need the voices of others in our lives. And so I'm going to read some controversial scriptures this morning, but I want you to notice one thing again. Anywhere that there is someone who has a delegated level of authority, there's an elevated responsibility. And if we don't see this, we mangle these scriptures really, really bad, and instead of serving one another, we smack each other over the head of the sledgehammer with these things. And so let's talk about the first controversial one in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, 25, 26. Wives, submit to your husbands. Let's start there. Everyone, that's a nice and easy one. That's a nice and easy one in 2021. Let's start right there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the husband is the head of the wife. That's delegated authority, delegated responsibility. Even as, so the, for the, sorry, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ, the head of the church, his body and himself is savior. But if you stop there, you'd be like, yeah, as a guy, I like that verse. Right? That's a good verse. You know, like that's, I like that one. But I have to keep reading to verses 25 and 26. And all the women said, whatever you want. I'm going to tell you what to say. What am I, nuts? Okay, here's what it says. Husbands, husbands, love your wives. Now, I wish that Paul would have just stopped there because we could have all self-determined what love looks like because love is love. So I'm going to self-determine what it looks like. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Jesus, as Christ loved the church. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Because here's what I know. When I look at the love, not that Jesus had for the church, has for the church. How many of you know that when it comes to patient, ain't nobody patient like Jesus? Look at his church. We give ample reason over and over and over and over again that we've blown it, that we missed it, and he picks us up and he dusts us off and he holds us to accountability and he holds us to justice and he causes us to look at the things that we've done, but he keeps giving us opportunity to be formed and fashioned into who he has called us to be. And so we see here, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And here's what it says, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word. So here's all I know when I look at this scripture as a man that the Bible may say, yeah, I'm the head of the home. And then the, the, the beautiful film that we've all said, yeah, you're the head of the home, but she's the neck. No, it's just, that's a, what was that? My fat Greek wedding, I think. And I, I don't remember. Anyways, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where that memory came from. You know what I'm blaming though? I'm blaming having to go get COVID tests because that stick goes up so far, you get repressed memories because it hit something back there. I got a COVID test, man. I bang. And I was like, when I was nine, one time, it just came right flooding out. Had no idea, okay? But here's all I'm saying, is if you're a man and you're married and you have a delegated authority of being the head of your home, here's what I want you to know. If you ever utter the words, if the words ever come out of your mouth, your mouth, wife, your woman, wife, submit. Here's what I want you to know. You're in sin and it's wrong. Because here's the truth. The, the elevated responsibility is on us as husbands to create the environment where that's never the issue at all whatsoever. 
Because if we're loving her the way that Jesus loves the church, how do you know it's a non-issue? Who wouldn't want to submit to Jesus, honestly? He's the most trustworthy person and all he wants is good for your heart and life. All he wants you to do is flourish. He knows you. He's the creator of all things. He knows your life and he actually knows what you're formed and fashioned and called to be, that he loves you perfectly. He knows everything about you. He knows the stuff that you won't even tell any other person, even in accountability. He knows that and he still loves you. Come on. This is what Jesus is saying. So once again, there's this elevated responsibility that we see here. The authority which God owns, he delegates to a husband or as a steward. Husbands, yeah, are given a specific instruction how to steward this delegated authority. We are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And that is a love marked by sacrificial giving. If you're married here, quick little moment for the, if you're married here, if the bullseye on your target for marriage is happiness, you are in trouble. But if the bullseye on your marriage is holiness, Ooh, now you've got yourself something absolutely spectacular to aim towards. To hold this intention, all husbands need genuine accountability. And here's what that means. we got to put away falsehood and listen to others, including our spouse. We've got to let people speak the truth and love to us about our role in the home so we can grow up a little bit. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and mother. This comes with a promise. So yes, there's something for children to do. Watch once again. If you're a parent in this place, watch in this place what happens. There's an elevated responsibility to those he delegates authority to. Then he goes on to say, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke them. Don't, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The authority, once again, that God owns, he delegates to us as parents. But for parents to steward this well, we need genuine relationships and honest accountability. Because I don't know if you've ever parented. It's really, really hard. It's a challenging thing to do. We all need accountability. Bringing them up is bridging the gap between where they are and where God is growing them to be. That's what bringing them up means. And every single one of us are called into this. It's a huge thing, but I want you to notice, yes, there's a responsibility on kids in the text, but there's an elevated responsibility when God entrusts certain things into our hands. Here's what God has entrusted into some of your hands. Some of you know people who don't know Jesus. And they'll never come to church and they'll never connect online. But you have this beautiful responsibility to share the good news and to share the gospel with them. So I hope when you opened up your hands and thought about, man, what has God put into my hands? It is all those relationships. It is engaging all of those things. And that should not put pressure on our shoulder. What it should put is a calling. What it should put is an ambassadorship that you and I are ambassadors for Christ. That we don't represent our interests and our name exclusively. We represent the name of Jesus and the mission of Jesus and the message of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. This is what we represent in the world in which you and I live, the heart of the king. So here he's saying once again, if you are a parent in this place or at home, that there's this elevated responsibility and we need parents, other parents, not just to encourage us, but sometimes to beautifully hold us account. Now the next one is a little bit tricky. And here's what I want to say. 1 Timothy 1.10 and then Revelations 18.11. The person of Jesus, every message of Jesus. The New Testament always assumes the trafficking of human beings is always exclusively sinful. Always. In reading the New Testament, though, there are these three distinct terms that are used for status in this time, in this culture. One, of course, would be slave. The other would be bond servant, which would be thought more of. And then, of course, servant. Bond servant, 
is best, this is super loose, but it's best understood if you think about employer-employee relationship. That's the easiest way I can do it quickly. Paul speaks poignantly about delegated authority of bond servants, of bosses, of managers, the supervisors, and leaders of others. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. But here's what he says. Same, same pattern. Watch the elevated responsibility. Masters, if you are in a place of leadership or authority or power over somebody else, do the same. And here's what Paul says. Stop threatening them. Stop leading from that space of fear, knowing that he who is both their master, what does he say? Knowing that he who is both their master and yours, in other words, you're not the sole source of power here. There is a greater authority, there's a greater power named Jesus. Lead them the way Jesus is leading you. This is what Paul says. Yours is in heaven and there's no partiality in him. In other words, God's not going to treat them differently, but you have a different level of authority. There's an elevated level of responsibility. Finally, Paul, in another book, speaks to a young pastor named Timothy about how he used to steward his delegated authority. And here's what it says in 2 Timothy. I know I'm going quick. 4 verses 3 to 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to truth and they're going to wander into myths. I'm glad this hasn't happened yet, but we need to pray for the church for when this does happen. That was sarcastic. We're living it. Because this always happens, Paul brings accountability by advising Timothy, this young pastor, to watch two things. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this on yourself and on the teaching. For by doing so, you will both save yourself and your hearers. So here's what he's saying for us as as ministers in the church, keep a close watch on the affections of your heart and also watch the doctrine that has been handed down to you. Are you changing it because of the pressure of culture or are you changing it because you misunderstood something in God's word? Those are two very different ways in which we interpret God's word. And the only way we accurately watch the affections of our heart is this, is we need the help of other people. So to be like Jesus, each of us in life will need to be cheered, we'll need to be coached, we'll need to be critiqued, and we'll also need to be counseled. Charles Kraft says, practice obedience, practicing obedience to the one whose authority we operate teaches us how to exercise the authority he delegates to us. And so as we obey, we become more like him, both in character and our relationships with those who are under our authority. The opposite is true. The more we believe that we are better than others, the more disobedient to Christ we become, the less like Jesus we act, the more potential there is for abuse and abu abuse of power, abuse of authority in our lives, in our marriages, our families, our churches, and our workplace. Each of us is individually and collectively accountable to one another. It is vital for every follower of Jesus to have people who can provide honest feedback and who can call us higher in our obedience to Jesus in the way that we live and where applicable, the way that we have been delegated some authority and how we're exercising that authority over others. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6 cannot be more clear. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. And sometimes... Even when all the above is done, the end result isn't, isn't justice. 
And so even when the outcome is opposite to how a Christian should have behaved, even though you may be thinking about a Christian celebrity or someone who led a church or someone who did this and they just, they sinned spectacularly or they covered something up and then it finally surfaced. I'm not saying accountability keeps everything perfect because some things are only found out in another season. But here's what Ecclesiastes 3 verse 17 teaches us. That God will judge the righteous and the wicked. And there is a time for every matter and for every work. And so finally, who should you and I be looking for to be invited into this space to speak truth to our lives, to help us put aside falsehoods and speak truth to our hearts? Who, who should we be inviting into these spaces right now to have honest conversations about the climate and the culture and the issues that we now find ourselves living within? To perhaps maybe put away falsehood and embrace truth. Have love spoken to us in truth. Here's what I would say. When looking for people to help you be more like Jesus, here's what you need. You need a little bit of time. Because Jesus said that bearing fruit takes time. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. Given enough time, our lives will produce what we are abiding in. Exactly. Authority is both a responsibility and it's a privilege. Both we are to steward in accountable relationships. And if we steward them improperly, we can lose our responsibility and our privilege in holding delegated authority over others. Charles Spurgeon said this, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. One final question for you today. In your life, how are you putting away falsehood and receiving the truth from someone? How are you doing in that space? Who speaks the truth to you in love? Who helps you put away falsehood? Who helps you in whatever God has entrusted to your hands? Who's helping you grow to be more like Christ? It's a great question that all of us need to wrestle with. Together, let's stand. Heavenly Father, as Joey prayed, Pastor Joey prayed during worship, Lord, we do pray that that which is hidden comes to light so that you can set us free. Holy Spirit, we affirm that it is your job to reveal things and it's the enemy's job to conceal things. And so, Lori, Lori, Lord, 
Would you help us find someone to put aside falsehood and to speak the truth in love? Jesus, we thank you that there is no falsehood in you. That in you there is no variation or shadow. That there is nothing deceptive. There is no like trick. That you are fully holy and completely trustworthy. When we read your word in context, Lord, it helps us put away falsehood. And it speaks truth to our hearts. And we also admit that in our thoughts, our minds, our emotions, our words, our behaviors, and our deeds, that sometimes we live so close to circumstances and situations and people, God, that we can no longer see what is true. And sometimes we need somebody else to speak the truth and love to us so that we can put aside something that's false and embrace that which is better, which is true. And so, Lord, with all that you have placed within our hands, may we steward it well as we walk with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being with us today. Again, whether here or at home, uh, we are gonna dismiss in just a second from the front to the back, uh, the back to the front, I think is how it goes, yeah? That's the first time, by the way, that I've ever prayed in Lori's name, in any prayer, and you were here for that, so (laughs) that was like, ooh, no, that's not good. No power, no authority. In my marriage, yes, but that may have been a moment for me again. That was a lot of me moments, and I am so sorry I sucked up so much space here, but anyways, it's big. Have an amazing week. You're dismissed. All right, may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you, and we look forward to seeing you back next Sunday. Uh, Fill out those kilometers, and please, backpacks, backpacks, backpacks. The need is actually going to be greater in this season because of the last school year, and so we are just counting on your generosity to make a Jesus-sized difference. You are loved as the family of God. All right, have an awesome week. (laughs) 